You can find us on Instagram at History Through a House Podcast or on Facebook at History Through a House. You can also email us at History Through a House at gmail.com. Welcome to History Through a House. I'm your host, Isadora Martin Dye, and today you have my husband, Ben. Hi, I'm Ben. And our cousin, Adam. Hey, I'm Adam. And we are enjoying day 485 of lockdown. Feels longer than that. Safe to say I have never walked up and down as many hills as I have done in the last two or three weeks of my life. Lots of walking. So, at long last today, we have been doing a lot more gardening. We've put in our raised veggie beds. Greenhouse has proven to be a godsend. And we have found that generally on other stuff, we're just slowing down. Mom's bathroom's still going really well because we bought all of that before lockdown started. But everything else is pretty much grinding to a halt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The bathroom is stuff that we can do because it doesn't really require any planning permission. Yeah, so we're doing a lot of walking. Mostly, exclusively. And I think Ben went on three walks today. Mm-hmm. Two and a half. And it's been really great so far. I mean, we're kind of enjoying it. Managing? Yeah, the dogs are enjoying having us home and walking a lot. Yeah, yeah. They'll get tired of it at some point, I'm sure. Yeah. All right, so so today we're going to be talking about the Iron Age, which you guys might remember follows the Bronze Age. It is... Hopefully only going to take us two episodes to get through the Iron Age, unlike the three or four or five hundred it took us to get through the Bronze Age. We're going to deal with the Iron Age before the Romans invaded and the Iron Age after the Romans invaded. So today is up until the Romans took over England, which is covering the years of, well, kind of about 800 years. We're going from about 800 BCE up until about 43 AE, I think. What's the correct time? CE. CE. Yes, (laughs) 43 CE. (laughs) Period known as the Iron Age lasted for about 800 years. And it is officially ended when the Romans invade. It officially starts somewhere after the Dark Ages that we talked about that happened once the Bronze Age collapsed. I know it was a couple of weeks ago, so let's just really quickly recap what was happening in the end of the Bronze Age. Anyone remember? They started making iron. (laughs) Yes, they did. They were domesticating horses. Yes, they were domesticating horses. Uh, they were starting to form settlements. They were buying Argos. That was the last episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, they were domesticating horses. They were starting to form better settlements. The Bronze Age ended for a few different reasons that they think. One is that the climate change was putting pressure on people, that naturally the population was dying out because they were fighting more amongst themselves. Trade had moved to Europe, so there was less resources. And basically, the elite that had formed at that point were no longer the elite. And there is a huge dearth of evidence. Really, the population shrunk dramatically up until the Iron Age started. I think we talked about this, sorry to interrupt, but I think we talked about this in the last episode, but was it getting colder or warmer? It was getting colder. Rainier. Ah, more Englandy. More Englandy. It was getting rainier. So where we're at right now is England is a bit damper. There is people moving into communities, but population isn't growing. Um, Iron has actually been made for a very, very long time. This making iron is not a new skill at this point. What has changing is that they are learning to make steel. So in fact, while it's called the Iron Age, really, it should be called the Steel Age. How disappointing. The changes in technological, and I'm pulling this from the BBC website, by the way, it's a really bold claim, but I like it. The changes in technological innovations that occurred during this time 
were every bit as evolutionary as those that have occurred in the last 800 years, from 13th century to the present day. So it was very warm. The BBC are saying that there is as many technological advances between medieval England and where we are now, this is with the internet and everything, as there were in the 800 years of the Iron Age. Consequently, it would seem like we have a lot of stuff to cover, and it should take a lot more than an episode or two. But the fact of the matter is most of the things that were advancing in that period, we can start with, they started with currency. And then we'll talk about it more in the Roman period. Mm. They started with politics, and then we'll talk it more about it in the Roman period. So these things were all like starting to show up in yes. civilization, and the Romans showed up and just made it better. Yes, it, and it's starting to show up because at this point, the Romans may not be in England, but during this period, the Romans are creating civilizations and trading mm-hmm. in Europe. Yeah, so it's indirectly affecting mm-hmm. Prehistoric Europe also saw a growing population. It has been estimated that about 5,000 BCE, mm-hmm. okay, way back during the Neolith- Neolithic period, there were 2 to 5 million people that lived in Europe. By the time we get to the late Iron Age, it has a population of 15 to 30 million. So, if we go with the lowest estimates of 2 million to the highest estimates of 30 million, a population increase of... Many percents. I don't know how many percent that is. Usually burns my mouth person. A lot. A lot of percent. Um, would obviously Two to 30? Two to 30. Yeah. It's like 15,000 percent, 1,500 percent. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, so, that period... Is going to obviously put a lot of pressure on the resources. Fifteen times as many people. (laughs) It's going to put a lot of pressure on the resources that Europe had to offer at that point. By the end of the Iron Age, among other things, coinage had been introduced, wheel throne pottery was being made, there was an increased interest in personal appearance, people had started to live in larger and more settled communities, and the more true rights of society had changed. Were they lowering the birth rates at this point? Is that what you the rights. Oh, right. The rights. The way people were buried. Okay, yeah. Rights. So that was basically pulled from the British History website, uh, BBC History website, which covers the Iron Age in a really, really succinct and easy to manage way. I tried not to just copy verbatim from what we were saying, <laughs> but really, if anybody wants to look at some references and stuff, the BBC website on this is very, very good. Where it becomes more interesting to me, personally, is that this is also the time where we start moving away from archaeology and start moving into actual written history. So, up until now, everything we have been talking about has been based in scientific developments in archaeology thousands of years after these people have lived. Still mostly conjecture. Yeah. Now we are still working on conjecture in some respects, Mm -hmm. But mainly we're using primary sources or sources that are based on primary sources. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. A lot of the original documents from this period have been lost, but a lot of the Romans that were coming in were looking at some of the earlier original documents and using them to base their writings. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of secondhand information yeah. um, versus, versus primary sources right. itself. 
Now, this is also the first time that Britain actually starts to become Britain. The first known written use of the word, Bretamiki, was an ancient Greek word, and it was originally a Celtic term. It is believed to have appeared uh, in a geographical book written by Pythias of Basilea in 325 BCE. He was a famous geographer and explorer. Was he, was he from Britain or was he, was he Roman? Roman? A Greek. A Greek, yeah. And he, but none of his original texts survive. No. So we're only reading secondhand information mm -hmm. as to what he wrote. Many linguists believe that the original manuscript may have used P instead of B. In which case, we're not Britain, we're Britain. 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 <laughs> we're British, not British. All right. Uh, we, okay, so briefly touched upon here, what comes now is the Celtic, the Celts. The Celts generally refer to languages and respective cultures of England, Scotland, Wales, Cornwall, the Isle of Man, and Brittany, known as the Celtic nations. So that's everything. That's like, that's... You said, you said England. No. No. Ireland, Ireland Scotland, Scotland, Wales. And Cornwall. Cornwall. Okay. The Isle of Man and Brittany. Okay. Brittany being in France. Oh. But close to Britain. Right. Yeah. So basically everything that surrounds England. Mm -hmm. But not England. But not England. Okay. Uh, although Cornwall's technically England, but they'll say that sometimes too soon now. There are still regions where full Celtic languages are spoken to some extent as the mother tongue. They are Irish Gaelic. Now, do we remember having this conversation in one of our very first podcasts? I think so. Irish Gaelic. But we didn't have any idea. Well, well, it's, it's also Scottish Gaelic. We thought it was two yeah, different languages. Scottish Gaelic, Welsh, and Breton. Plus, two recent revivals, Cornish and Manx. Where was that spoken? Manchester. Um, it's a Goidelic, G-O-I-D-L-I-C language. No. Okay. No, 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 no. The spread of the Celtic languages to England and Britain would have occurred in the first half of the first millennium BC. First half of the first millennium. Yeah. Okay. So, one thousand to five hundred mm -hmm. BC. Right. So by the time we're talking about the Iron Age, language, Celtic language has spread. Okay, just speaking. Potentially, the beakers helped with the spread, <laughs> but they have been there much earlier. Mm -hmm. There's still the same conversations like we had about the beakers yeah. and the Celts, which is was it a trend or was it a people? Mm -hmm. Evidentially, it's seeming much more that the Celts were a trend. Whereas the beakers were people. There's not that big genetic turnover that we saw in the right. when the Celts came through. Okay. And in fact, as opposed to everybody being descended from a Celtic genotype, mm -hmm. everybody has actually got everyone's European descendant, but there doesn't seem to be any one Celtic trace that came through. Okay. Like the Irish and the Scottish aren't related. Okay. Mm -hmm. Gen 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 yeah. Genetically. Gen but I meant genetically. <laughs> um, 
they are working on this. Like, this is one of those things that's actively being studied right now. The, the theory that the Celts were other people. Yes. Okay. So there isn't a total consensus yet. Mm-hmm. What we're going to talk about, first of all, is the economy. This is a fairly dry one, I have to say, this whole episode. <sighs> so I'm really sorry. All right, I'm going to go take a nap. <laughs> when does all the stuff happen? Um, the economy started really developing during the Iron Age. The culture was based on farming, but metalwork was considerably advanced. And by the end of the period, long-range trade within the area and with Mediterranean cultures was economically significant. So it had dropped right after the Bronze Age, mm-hmm. but through the Iron Age, they start to pick up again, and trade starts to really happen. Mm-hmm. Helped along by the fact that the Romans are moving back and forth. Yeah. Social distinctions became increasingly important, with emerging elite classes of chieftain and warriors, and other skills. So one of the things that they looked into is the idea of medicine. You know, shaman. Oh, witch doctors. Witch doctors starting to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Religious. Religious medicine. Medical. medical. Yes. Um, Religion, for the first time, I can actually talk to you about their religion. So there is definitely this sense of society building that wasn't really there before. Mm -hmm. It was organized on a tribal basis, but there isn't much written history as to how a lot of the sources that talk about it really didn't spend much time they were conquering. Mm-hmm. So they really didn't spend much time trying to understand what the society was at the time. But the places they were conquering or... So the people that are writing are generally Romans. Yes. So you're getting first-hand accounts of the late, Bron- of the late Iron Age. Yeah. But these are conquests. Yeah, they're moving it, yeah. So they're not spending much time learning the nuances of how these people mm-hmm. live. No. With regards to abnormal husbandry, cattle represented a significant investment in free women. They could be used as a source of portable wealth, as well as providing useful domestic byproducts such as milk, cheese, and leather. Yeah. Later in the Iron Age, an apparent shift is visible, um, and they start rearing a lot more sheep. We also know from our discussions on stone circles, pigs were very popular, and people were eating a lot of pigs. Yeah, were they? Yeah, yeah, because they were confused about where the pigs were coming from. Yes, exactly. Why were they raising more sheep? Did the, I mean, they, they'd obviously been around. Economically, for... sheep are less labor intensive than a cow. Oh, I guess, yeah. You have a lot more sheep on a piece of land than you can a cow. Mm-hmm. But they, they've been around for, I mean, they've been on this on the continent for as long as cows had. Yes, remember, because when we talked about Stone Age, yeah. and the Marine, they were much more goat like. Oh. But okay. yes, they've been around for. The biggest commodity of the time was salt. Okay. It was used for preserving and supplementation of the diet. There are some archaeological evidence that this still exists, particularly in East Anglia and on the coast towards Europe. Mm-hmm. And they literally brought in salt from the water, from the sea, let it evaporate, and that was what they traded. From England to Europe? Yes. Okay. Uh, and generally around England. Okay. Um, some salt trading networks spanned over 75 kilometers. There have been nearly 10,000 Iron Age Celtic coins recorded in this period. Mm-hmm. It represented a important and political change in how business was being done. Because the whole point of a coin is that it has a value over large spaces, but 
you couldn't take your cap. Yeah. So politically, everything had to be a lot more stable, mm-hmm. and people have to have faith. That being said, a lot of the coins were gold and silver, so they actually had some value as well. Mm-hmm. It was still tied to kind of a gold standard. Mm-hmm. Not so much in the southwest, where we are, in the southeast, where they were sometimes cast bronze coins. Yeah. And they had images of the rulers on them. And that was much more of a Roman idea, which is that the coin was held by the country, and therefore the country backed the value of that coin. Interestingly, in England, it didn't have that same people. There still wasn't this idea of long-term ruling elites, so there wasn't much to back it up. But they were stealing that idea from the Romans before mm-hmm. Romans in the um, The Iron Age also saw a substantial number of goods belonging to the Halsat culture imported from the continent into the UK, and it can have a major effect on Iron Middle Iron Age native art. Where is this culture coming from? So, Northern Europe and all round, really, it's kind of the beakers of this period. Okay, but they're moving south to England? Yes. And just their culture, or they were physically moving as well? There hasn't been as much distinct evidence for what was happening with them as there were for the beakers. They're okay. trying to figure it out. They're trying to figure out, did this culture carry the Celtic language? <laughs> did it carry a genetic language? There's a real massive gray area here. I think a lot of it's to do with not written records and it just being wiped out by the Romans. Okay. One of my favorite things I found in my research is that the classical writer Strabo actually comments that the Britain Britain was famed for its hunting dogs, which were exported throughout the Roman Empire. Hmm. What breeds were those as well? Don't know. Oh, dog breeds, wolves, I guess at that point. Alright, we're going to talk about tribes. This is one of those things that we're going to talk about now because it started happening. However, this particular tribe, and now we're getting very specific into Devon and the Southwest, actually is going to take us through and is going to be very much prevalent through the next thousand years. The following ethnic names that we're going to talk about were recorded in the 2nd century CE at the earliest. By more Romans. By Romans. So, this doesn't necessarily mean that this same tribe had been living in that area for that length of time, that genetically they would have been the same people that were there through the whole of the Iron Age. This is the best we can figure out. Mm-hmm. Where evidence is available, it would seem to indicate that the tribes of the Middle Iron Age tended to group together into larger tribal kingdoms as that period went on. So, initially, you're talking about smaller communities of families, and then they banded together, mm-hmm. and they banded together. So, by the end of this period, you have got kingdoms. Yeah. And the kingdom down here was the Eumoni. Mm. Now, for some reason, while I haven't learned about this before, it rang a real bell, and I can't remember. Did we talk? Where have I, I learned about this? Do you remember this name? Jumani? Jumani? Jumanji. D-U-M-M-N-O-N-I-I. Okay, but it's now the area that's known as Devon and Cornwall, and it's where Devon actually Basically got its name the from. the southwest. Yes, but it's now where Devon got its name from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also was some parts of Dorset, Somerset, and 
all the it's the southwest southwest. Okay, further further towards London than we are. You get to using the Southwest Railway. London's the only city in the. So, and this tribe primarily were the tribe that other elites were dealing with up until the Anglo Saxon period, which is when our house was founded. Other elites in England? Like other, yes. other tribes in England. Other tribes in England, Roman people when they came in. Oh, big ones. I mean, it was obviously very, because it's Cornwall dead. It's the whole of the yeah, Southwest. Really it was big. a big tribe. That's there really were smaller big. tribes within it. So, interestingly enough, of course, it would probably have been a member of this tribe that founded Long That's really cool. They were bordered to the east by the Durotrigus tribe. These are all 100% definitely pronounced correctly. Absolutely. <laughs> Interestingly enough, most of this trading happened actually towards over the channel towards France from there. There was a lot less trading in the southwest with the rest of England, like the southeast, and a lot more trading with across the What what is the evidence that they were trading? Uh pottery. Always pottery, ceramics. What were they getting for the pottery? Were they just trading pottery back and forth? Oh, they were, they were actually selling it. Yeah. They do not seem to have been politically central centralized. Coins are relatively rare. None of them have been locally minted, and the structure, distribution, and construction of Iron Age hill forts point to a number of smaller tribes living together alongside each other. So in other places around England, these tribes were structurally very developed. Uh, what would be the word? Not developed. Um, Hierarchical. Yeah, rigid. Yeah. But in... Like with, a, with like what you could almost call them as a monarch. Yes. And then a very distinct... Like ruling class above that, and then yeah. serfdom or something beneath that. Whereas in Devon, it was more of a. The communists. Yes, more of a communist. The Roman town of Exeter was also uh, founded at this point. So we're really looking at Devon starting to become what we would recognize as Devon. Mm-hmm. They firstly are starting to be known by a name similar to Devon. Borders are starting to be drawn along the Devon counties. Mm-hmm. And the main city in the southwest has actually started to be found. Now, the Roman name for Exeter was Isaac Dumondria. Dumondri. <laughs> which means water of the Dumani. Ah. Okay, so we know that it was to do with the tribe that was primarily. Mm-hmm. The Latin name suggests that the city was already a walled town on the banks of the river X before the Romans even came. Well, there are more examples of the cities that all being. Yeah, there are a few. More and more, they're realizing that London was actually a centralized hub, even back to Neolithic periods. They're finding Neolithic pottery there and realizing that people have been inhabiting. Obviously, in London, it's been built on so many times that it's very hard to find that evidence. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk about hill forts. Wait. I'm excited about them. I love one thing. Hill forts. A hill fort is a type of earthwork used as a fortified refuge or defended settlement. Located to exploit a rise in elevation for a defensive advantage. Is it on a hill? It was on a hill. It was a fort. And much like everything else we've discussed at this point, is a basis, basically a town surrounded by concentric ditches and banks. Embankments. Those mm-hmm. things. Circular causeways. Yeah, those guys. Now, take a quick look at Hennock. No evidence for this because obviously it's been built, but... We are up in a very different sort of position up here. There, we are on the top of a hill. There's obviously been a lot of prehistory up here. Mm-hmm. 
somewhere like Hammock is where they would start building these Anglo-Saxon forts. There were a lot of them everywhere around England. So it was like Team Village, they were just like... So Team Village would not, they wouldn't have... They wouldn't have, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have even bothered would, setting up there. But like Monk Dad's family would like, his ancestors wouldn't be protecting our, our ancestors? No, they, were, they just didn't build in valleys. Okay. Which is strange, because that's where all the water was. Yeah, it's yeah, hard to move stone But springs up, up high. So yeah, interestingly, a lot of these Iron Age forts were then taken over by the Romans. Yeah. The people who were building the Iron Age forts knew what they were doing. They knew to pick defensible positions. The Romans just took t- total advantage of that and built on top of it. Mm-hmm. The fortification usually follows the contours of a hill, so that they're not digging out. They're not fighting. Them, yes, so they're right. working with it. And it consists of one-on-one lines of earthworks with stockades or defensive walls and external ditches. Hill forts developed from the Late Bronze and Early Iron Age roughly start about the first millennium BC and were used in many Celtic areas of Central and Western Europe, not just in England, all the way up until the Roman Conquest. Some of the forts were also settlements, while others were only occupied seasonally. Yeah, that makes sense. I was, forts. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to find a ghost episode, a ghost thing to do about this, and I found one hill fort where there is, it's a totally built hill fort, and zero evidence that anyone ever lived there. Like they haven't found any pottery, mm. they haven't found any charcoal. They like built it and then just didn't come back. Yeah, there's a whole load of, they think maybe they built it to prove that they could build it. Why would they have done that, though? I didn't understand it, didn't get into it, it wasn't the kind of ghost story I was after, yeah. but this Iron Age ghost town was, it, it's like much other stuff, never really been excavated. Yeah. Is it still a thing you can visit? We go to Yeah. yeah. Cool. We're actually Just gonna... not now. No, can't do anything right now. <laughs> Excavations in the first half of the 20th century primarily focused on the idea that these were defensive, up on the top of a hill with... Teeny windows. No well, round windows. huts. Tiny windows. Uh, round thatched huts. No swords. But the... just reached out and poked the enemy in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> get out. <laughs> boink. Get off my land. Boink, boink. This take, started to change in the... <laughs> this started to change in the 1930s. And from 1960 onwards, archaeologists shifted their attention to the interior of the hill fort. So not just... You said 1960s. That's what I meant. That's what I said. 1960s. They changed their minds. About what, what the fort oh, was Oh, I was like, that's what they're building these <laughs> I was like, where was they? So no, up until 1960s, everybody was obsessed with digging up the ditches and the banks. Right. To see about the defense system. Mm-hmm. In the 1960s, they actually went into the middle of these hill forts. Mm-hmm. It took that long. And started digging up the middle bits to see what they were actually doing there and re-examining their function. Um, currently, they regard them as symbols of wealth and power. So this ghost town oh. may have legitimately just been to prove that that tribe could build them. Is it bigger or more extravagant than one that up to a similar time period that was lived in? As from what I can tell, it's actually it's part of a collection of hill forts okay. that they think were all owned by the same tribe, and maybe this was a ceremonial one for something. That's bizarre. There's no written history as to why. Yeah, they're just like, it's weird that at this point they're starting, I mean, yeah, that status is becoming a thing. Yeah. But their way to prove that they have some sort of status is to build a, a small village and then leave it there. To be fair, this is the only example of that that I 
found or they mentioned. Yeah. So there's a hundred reasons. I mean, maybe they all died out. Abducted by aliens. Yeah, that's the obvious one. Stolen by Bigfoot. At this point, also, they were beginning to store harvested crops in granaries, which were grazed on the, from the ground in on post, or dug deep into the chalk. Some four hundred so okay, some four thousand five hundred of these storage pits had been found within the Hillfort interior in New Hampshire. They were all used to store crops. Basically, can you imagine this would have been one huge trading post? Yeah. Four and a half thousand plate storage things mm-hmm. of crops. Amazon warehouses eat your heart out. <laughs> Basically, one huge, largely fortified granary. Each of these hill grain, too bad. Our grain. Our grain. Next day delivered. If you're lucky. These, um. Start a company like Amazon called Grain Grain. Each of these hill forts is hugely different. This is why scientists are trying. Funny, very hard to come to a conclusion as to why they were there. So some had all these things for keeping grain. Some of them were as big as 50 acres. There's that place in, like, Switzerland or Sweden or Scotland. Oh, so the the best country. country. <laughs> Church of the Mess, and it's, they've got the, like, the seed project. It's oh, where they're, yeah, where they're storing a they're seed like, of everything. Yeah, in. They're doing the ancient, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of Maybe they're just doing that. Maybe they're like, in case the earth ends, we need to save all these seeds. Yeah, I mean, I, it's weird that, like, the they can't come to a conclusion, but it sounds like they were used for everything. Yeah, I mean, the 50-acre ones, they reckon, could have only really been used for animal. Yeah, like, a pen. Like, big animal. Yeah, they were like, squirrels do this. We should do this. Do what? Storkland. Oh, storkland. I thought you meant build. Just, just, just. Dig things, just build pits and put things in pits and then forget where they are so that they just dig more and more and more. They also think that through this period. How big were squirrels back then? They were a small boat wagon. They also think that through this period, because iron ore was located in a different place to tin and copper, mm-hmm. that maybe the hill forts all played different roles as the area that the people were living in changed. More than mining the iron. Yeah, I think. Oh, yeah, because we talked about that in the Aga episode. It, so it's like it's up near that place, but just over to the side of it. Love it. Look, I'm pointing at it right now on a map. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, from so we're going to talk it's about. This far. It's the distance between my thumb and my forefinger. <laughs> Three and a half inches, yeah. So we're going to talk about a couple of local uh, hill forts. Yeah, one, yeah, okay. one is in Honiton. Ooh. Which was originally a Neolithic site, and an Iron Age hill fort was later built on the same site. Did you say Hobbiton? Hobbiton. <laughs> Where are friends live? It was excavated in 1930 by Dorothy Little. She identified a timber framed entrance to the causeway enclosure and an oval arrangement of post holes in the middle, which she interpreted it as being a building destroyed by fire before the enclosed earthworks were built. Other evidence of Neolithic occupation included pottery, flints, axe, and charred grain. So these sites have been used for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. If it was a good site with good... No, I want to stay here and make it bigger. And more modern. One more mm-hmm. Okay, the reason I'm talking about this particular site is actually because I want to briefly talk about this woman who was excavating it, Dorothy Little. She was born in 1890, and she lived until she was 48 years old. 
She was a pioneering woman archaeologist and mentor to two other archaeologists, Mary Leakey and Mary Elizabeth both of whom went on to revolutionise the archaeological field. Little was raised with typical education at the time, taught by governesses and tutors, and she was a debutante president at a court. Although she was a noted archaeologist, she was unable to get any formal education or any formal recognition. Because she was a woman. She was a woman. That's right. <laughs> she was I the don't first. Know why. To That's like, so, sorry, I don't. It's like I found the skeleton. It's like, no, you didn't. You're a woman. <laughs> how, there's no way you. There's no way. That. How do you even know how to use this? Yeah. You only know how to like play the piano, shoot a bow and arrow, <laughs> do exquisite artwork, cook dinner, manage and the servants, drive a car, ride a horse, get the papers. Yeah, <laughs> but no, discovering skeletons is too much. What she did discover was she was the first person to recognize that they used bird bones to decorate Neolithic pottery, and that had a significant influence on the perception of Neolithic times with this idea of decorating and actually taking care of stuff. She worked with multiple sites in the area, and the Henbury site in Devon, she was one of the first people to recognize that it had had this lengthy history, Neolithic, all the way through to Iron Age, and to discover that it had been destroyed by fire. She also discovered more pottery matching other locations in France and Iron Age sites. She died prematurely and was buried with her parents and brother in the Church of the Holy Ghost in Basingstoke. My point being is that this woman was pretty. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. She pretty was, badass. She was that dude. Yep, yeah, she was awesome. All right, moving on. <laughs> Milba Down Hillfort is an Iron Age multi-valeted hillslope fortification consisting of roughly four concentric and fairly wide spaced ramparts without a ditch situated on a hillslope in Newtnabba. Devon. Newtnabba. That's what I said. But for those that don't know where we are, Newtnabba is our closest town. It has an Argos. It does have an Argos. The large ditches are still visible from the air, but the whole camp is bisected by the road from Newtonabbot to Corby. The entrances to the Hellfort were probably on the northwest and southeast where the roads enter and have mostly perished. Three bronze figurines were found in the fill of the middle ditch of the Hellfort. The figurines dated to the 1st century BCE and included a recumbent deer, a duck with a disc in its mouth, and a bird with hinged legs. A disc in its mouth? Mm -hmm. Like a frisbee? Yeah. Okay. I saw the picture. No, it's exactly like a duck. It's really weird. It is really weird, but we were talking about this art that was being produced, and this is really good examples of Bronze Age, uh, Iron Age art. And they're quite pretty. Mm. I'll put them on Instagram. Lifestyle. All right, let's talk a little bit more about who these people were. We know how they were living. We know mm. where they were living. They were also shocking to the invading Romans. And many of the writers wrote about the British people's appearance. The Romans at this point were wearing pretty neutral like togas, and the British Iron Age people were said to have worn a close-fitting trousers with a long, long tunic of either linen or wool held at the waist by a belt. Over this would have been a cloak that was fastened to the shoulder with a brooch, and the textiles were dyed bright colours and woven with striped or checkered pattern. There is evidence from archaeological records of brooches, pins, and other dress accessories that would have played both a functional and decorative role in the clothing. Their hair would have been long, often braided, and the men would have sported beards or moustaches, which they grew long. And when Dorius Succulus, 
Siculus. Siculus, there we go. Roman. Roman. Said, when they are eating, the moustache becomes entangled in the food, and when they are drinking, the drink passes it through it, as though it was some sort of strainer. Foul description of facial hair. But can you imagine how to Romans, where if you remember yeah. Roman statues, they're all kind of close shaved and... Yeah, why would, why was that? Why was that, like, how their civilization developed? I... Because they had the time to shave, they like had the time to groom themselves. It was just it's just trends, right? I mean, this is what we're seeing over and over again. Darn I mean, hipsters <laughs> ruining everything. The the Bretons, yeah, the Breton, whoever, sound a lot more. I don't know. They sound like they have more. They, it sounds like they have more culture just based on how they. The Romans sounded like my parents when they had time to get into grunge for summer, <laughs> and they're like, "No, you have to." I just think, can you imagine? Stop wearing long sleeve (laughs) flannels around your waist for no reason. It's 90 degrees out. Why are you wearing tight pants? What's wrong with you? But it is interesting. And and it comes back to one of the things that we'll talk a lot about in in post-Roman ages. It's how quickly the Brits returned (laughs) to I can just see the Romans basically just like, that's not music, turn that off. (laughs) Yeah. Really super clean. Yeah. Yeah. And, (laughs) And very impractical. I mean, one of the things that I love as an idea about why the Brits returned to being British so quickly after the Romans left was because they were used to wearing trousers and a tunic, not running around in snow-white drafty no, robes. No, it's, so it's so much more utilitarian, isn't yeah. it? You can do things in clothes like that. Yeah. It's debatable. You can try to do things in clothes like that. You are essentially wearing a dress over a pair of pants, but nobody so, loves more toes than here anymore. So- It'd be a good time for it. Yeah. Quarantine fashion. All right. Religion. I told you that we were going to get back to this. And for the first time, I've been trying to teach you some religion. This whole damn podcast. These heathens. Darn podcast. Darn podcast. And for the first time, I can actually tell you a little bit about what the religion was happening at this time. It is thought that farming played an important part in the religious calendar. We are now getting into this idea of the Druid calendar matching up with the Christian calendar. Sensitive subject. It is. Fragments of a bronze calendar in France mentions two seasonal festivals Beltane on May 1st and Luxemb on August 1st. Beltane recognizes the beginning of the warm season, mm-hmm. a time when cattle are put out for open grazing, while Luxemb would have marked the hoped ripening of the crops. So basically, spring and harvest festival. Mm-hmm. Well, wouldn't harvest be later than that? Uh, the ripening would be August first, so I guess. I mean, I guess that would, would be. That'd be ripening, but yeah, harvest festivals usually much yeah. later. You let, well, that's just, that's obviously because you let things dry on the stalks down. This is, by the way, a science. This is, by the way, the fragments of. Thank God you're a gardener. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking about some of this is very much subjective as to what I'm going to talk about because calendars aren't. There's not a whole lot of. There's not a whole lot of. I don't think like the Romans had tomatoes. I'll look it up for you next week. Probably. No, I think they didn't. I'm not sure. I know that they originated in South America. Same with peppers and things like that. So what are you thinking would ripen in August? That's what I'm thinking. Yes, I mean beans. Lots of beans here. Onions. Fruit on trees. Fruits, yeah. Peaches, apples. No, because apples are usually September, October. On August 1st this year, we will tell you what's ripening in our garden. Lentils. Strawberries. We're eating a lot of, like... I was like, Rain was like, you let it grow, and then you wait till it was sort of... And then cut it back. Yeah. I have no idea. We should look up to see what the Rome, the standard Roman diet was. Because, like, even, uh, we'll get into that Even now, like, you cut hay Memorial Day weekend mm-hmm. in the stage, which is the last weekend of May. Mm-hmm. So that would be, like, it would be, like, four weeks after the planting. Yep. 
and then you harvest all the hay a second time Labor Day, which is four weeks after that. Lufthansa, but Lufthansa. <laughs> How about this? Oh, uh, Lufthansa. Lufthansa, like a. Lufthansa's an airline. Yeah. We want to get sponsored by an airline. That'd be nice. Yeah. There's not going to be any left by the time. Fly us to Rome. Yeah. Okay. These are the more controversial holidays that, or the more controversial holidays Christmas that came up. Christmas, super controversial. The there's another text that talks about Samhain. Samhain. Mm-hmm. Salmon? On November 1st. Yeah, so it's the day after Halloween. And in Bollock on February 1st. I should have known you'd pick up on that almost immediately. Yeah, we just watched that episode of Sassoon and Bollock. In Bulk represented a time when the ewes began to lactate and therefore a new regenerative cycle amongst the livestock. Mm. Basically, <laughs> fertility. Yeah. Some pain. Oh, so it's like Valentine's. Yeah. However, represented the end of one year and the beginning of the next. So they, the end of their year was in November. Yeah, agriculturally, it was a time when the grazing season was over and the flocks were over. Hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. On a social level, it was a transitional period when the spirits could pass between two worlds. This pagan tradition still continues in our society today as Halloween. Yes. The evidence from sites in Hampshire that it's filled with specially chosen offerings, such as animal carcasses and even human remains at this point, these deposits may have been the result of rituals or ceremonies, including feasts, possibly for these seasonal festivals. We'll get into a little bit about human sacrifice next week. So, we're going to do our own? We'll try to. We'll practice. <laughs> yeah. Let you know how it goes. Mm-hmm. Hopefully right. no one finds out. Let's talk about Easter. Mom, Dad, human sacrifice. <laughs> Easter on being one of pretty much the major Christian holidays, mm-hmm. but... Which one is this? Easter. Easter. Yeah. But none of its iconic elements to do with Easter are native to Christianity. And well, actually, Passover was way before Easter. Yeah. And Naomi, Naomi Sykes from the University of Exeter of course, yay, um, has released a study to basically look at the fact that chickens and hares, which for those that don't know what hares are... Chicken hares. Has are very large rabbits. They're actually not from the rabbit family at all. Is that right? They're small kangaroos. They're not from the rabbit family at all. Are they? Like, they're marsupials. Really? No, they're just big rabbits. They look but like big not. rabbits, but I think that they're not big rabbits. They're big rabbits. They can't be marsupials because they don't carry their babies in a pouch. They're iguanas. They're definitely iguanas. Reptiles. <laughs> nope. And not, not reptiles, just iguanas. They have actually shown evidence that perhaps that people worshipped chickens and hares at this point. That they actually looked that they were too special to be eaten. They, because they weren't native to England. They'd been brought in oh. probably by the Romans and probably okay. by so yeah, hares and chickens. And they are associated with deities. Chickens with an Iron Age god akin to Mercury. What was it called? Okay, uh, they don't have a name. And hares with an unknown <laughs> And hares with an unknown female goddess. The religion association of hares and chickens endured throughout the Roman period, and that's why they possibly think that they were then latched on to Easter. That's so much cooler than, like, Peter Rabbit is. Yeah. But that's why they think that maybe chicks and hares have been associated with Easter. They think that they were actually raising chicks and hares basically for pleasure, which is a really weird, like, um, the, idea that, the, the idea that they were just pets. Hmm. 
I mean, it's not that weird. I guess we keep chickens as pets, but it's they weird in a period where survival was key that you would keep two things that could very easily be eaten and not eaten. But they didn't really, they weren't struggling to survive. Yeah, were they? No, not really, I guess. And by the way, once but Romans like two, left, because we'll never come back yeah. to this, once Romans left, it was fair game, they were eating them. But like, it's, those are two things. Even the Romans. Hares breed quickly, like, reproduce very quickly. And chickens also produce a lot of food very quickly. I mean, like, like secondary food. Yes, they chickens also do. Very yeah. Has, in England, verge on extinction almost all the time. So, now. Um, now. Because you started hunting them with foxes. But for a long time, we've not, you dogs. can't hunt with foxes. You're hunting foxes with dogs. My brain <laughs> is good. For a long time, it's been a long time now that we've not been able to hunt hares. Hmm. So I'm not sure that they do reproduce as quickly as rabbits. Interesting. I have. I'm not familiar with the reproductive rights of hares. Can I introduce you in the reproductive? Yes. You? Could you introduce me to the reproductive rights of ducks? Um, ducks, I know a lot about. All right, let's talk about death. Favorite part of the podcast. Yahoo! And chariot burials. Does that sound as fun as you're telling me? <laughs> like wheeling them around. <laughs> they are tombs in which the deceased was buried together with their chariot. Just, I just imagine like Ben Hur with like a bunch of. Corpses. Not corpses, but what are those? What are the cars called? Horses. Yeah. Just like horse a big line, chariots. A big line of, of like really low, long black chariots. Yeah. And they all race each other and like, <laughs> they, like if they tipped around. over, just like some dead bodies fell out of the back. They were civilized, these people. I doubt it. <laughs> Including usually their horses got buried along with them. Oh, and they're alive? Possession. I'm assuming they killed them first and then buried them. What a waste of space. Big holes. Yeah. Chariots are not small things. There were also instances of people being buried without their chariots, and it's just called a horse burial. Is it being buried with horses? Yeah, you get buried with your pet horse, your favorite horse, your best horse. Chariot burial was an Iron Age Celtic custom, where the wooden chariot has decayed. Usually you can still find examples of the harnesses. This wasn't a Roman thing? No, this was actually a Celtic thing. It's also... Mainly in the north of England, there's no examples of it down here in Devon. It's just it's cool, so I wanted to talk about it. Okay. I also wanted to talk about the wet wang slack about a chariot burial. What? Mainly because I wanted to say wet, wet wang slack. slack. <laughs> also, all very adult here. Sorry. Also, because it's a burial in 300 BCE, and it's unusual because a woman was interred with a chariot. Hmm. In was she buried with what, like, like weapons? Was she in, like an implied warrior of some description? Or yeah, she. So that is entirely what they are suggesting. It's an Iron Age archaeological site. There's three different burials in that area. Two of them are men, although one had been significantly destroyed, I think, by some building works. And the third one was a young adult woman facing right, with her legs bent and her arms extended. Pig bones were deposited on top of the skeleton, which, by the way, has been something that I found mentioned a few times with burials. Mm-hmm. Again, coming back to this idea that pigs are really sacred, that's why you found them in the stone circles. A soil mark shows the position of the completely dismantled chariot. They didn't bury the chariots whole, they actually took them apart and put the pieces in a big pile together. Right, that's much more reasonable. Beneath the individual, including its extended poles, which you don't put it attached. So the actual, like, poles from the yeah, yeah. Other chariot fittings, including iron tires, bronze nave hoops, four spokes, and tarot rings were found with her. Behind the head and shoulders of the woman were two horse bits, 
a bronze case with a chain attached, a pin, and a throwback to an episode a couple of weeks ago, a bronze mirror, which we talked about. Yeah. They used to use bronze to make mirrors, or mirrors, whatever. Um, and that is her very extravagant burial. Mm-hmm. Now, they have found a decent number of chariot burials in the UK, nowhere near as many as there were in Europe, possibly because the trend just took longer to get here and the Romans beat, yeah. beat into it too much. Um, there aren't any examples of chariot burials after the Romans have left, mm-hmm. so it was a short-lived trend. We're going to talk next week about the Roman invasion and how that affected everyone, how they invaded and how they took over. But really what we're looking at right now is that's the Iron Age. Cool. Yeah, I know. It's kind of boring when they start settling down. It was, I, honestly, this was perhaps the most, bo- I found in almost every other one I've done, things that have really made me very excited. Mm-hmm. This was very factual. It's because, yeah, the written history stuff, I would assume, has anything to do with that. Well, I don't know. I think it's because I didn't want to get into the Romans. So last week we talked a lot about the kings and queens, or two weeks ago, we talked about the warrior queens. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk a lot more about the ruling elite of the time. But most of the evidence of the ruling elite at the time comes to their clashes with the Romans. And I was trying my hardest to give you an idea as to what the native Britain, how the native Britain was living, looking, eating at this point. So you can understand what a total culture shock the Romans were. Everything I could find about the Iron Age history was wrapped up in this idea of the Roman showing up. And I thought it was really important for native Britons, for native Devonians, who at this point were their own tribe, their own culture, their own kingdom, to really respect the fact that there were people living in large communities and circular huts with thatch roofs mm-hmm. on the top of these hills. They were farming, they had cattle, they had sheep, they had pigs. They were dressing colourfully. The looms in the house were allowing them to make fabric that wasn't just practical. Mm-hmm. They found glass beads and ideas that there were games associated with it that the children would have played in the evening. Their lives weren't. They weren't just sitting ducks waiting for the Romans. Yeah. They were living life. They were producing culture. Mm-hmm. They were trading. I think that everything I read about Romans really gave a dissatisfying answer to the Iron Age. Okay. The Iron Age was a footnote to the Roman incursion. And it's, I don't know how long this episode will end up being when I've gone through and deleted all my ums. But it was worth, I think, for a minute paying tribute to the woman who was a chariot driver. Mm-hmm or the person who set up an Iron Age fort that was used by the Romans for thousands of years because they chose the best defensive position, or the way that they stored grain. These are important people and important things that they were learning. And more importantly, once the Romans leave, that's our starting point again. So you could almost jump to the Romans leaving, and it would be a continuing story from where we are today. Yeah. Can't not talk about the Romans, though. Can't not talk about the Romans, but I think it's really important that for anyone who doesn't care about the Romans, who doesn't want to know about the Romans, they can jump through the next, I don't know how many episodes well, the Romans don't. is going to take, please don't. But you could carry on and not have lost anything about what the British people were doing and who the British people were and what they were developing and what they were doing. Yeah. Very good point. Which yeah. I guess means I feel much more passionately about the Iron Age than I thought I did 30 seconds ago when I said it was very boring. All right, guys, so... That was the Iron Age. Next week we start moving on to the Romans. For anyone who hasn't listened to it yet and wants to change a pace, go listen to my husband's podcast, The Swingdom, um, who is talking a little less fra- practically about historical figures. And um, and uh, hopefully we'll speak to you all next week. All right, bye. bye. bye.
Thank you so much for listening to History Through a House. If you've enjoyed what you have to hear, please go onto iTunes and rate and review us. Also, we love to hear feedback, things that we may have done wrong, stories that you know that are interesting that we should cover, or houses that you know that you think we should cover. You can find us on Instagram at History Through a House Podcast or on Facebook at History Through a House. You can also email us at History Through a House at gmail.com. We really want to hear your feedback and we're really excited to get to know you. Thank you. Bye.